You ever get that feeling like the concrete jungles closing in? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to chase your own dinner, or just breathe clean air. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there waiting, and finding your piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, price, location. They've got it all. No matter what kind of wild dream you're chasing, land.com can help you find the ground to make it a reality. So quit dreaming. Head over to land.com, find your open space, and get out there. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Trump is Hitler. Through endless blinding fogs of denial and self-delusion, those of us who have refused to see have made sure that they and others could not see. Through years of rationalizations that the worst cannot happen here, even as every lesser step on the path to the worst has already happened here, through a million both sides' dismissals that America is different that there are checks, that there are balances, that there are guide rails. Through the most fundamental of desires, if we believe it cannot be, then it will not be. Through all of that, most of us have refused to believe it. Trump is Hitler. Not 1940 Hitler. Not 1938 Hitler. But 1933 Hitler... The one who, had he been stopped, would not have destroyed Europe and committed the Holocaust. Our last chance to stop Hitler, Hitler. That's who Trump is right now. And that's who American journalism has, to some degree, just discovered. Hey, Trump, he's Hitler. Now, finally, with the events of the last five days, finally, perhaps too late, perhaps still too little, something has broken. Some line that was actually crossed a year ago, or 10 years ago, or 40 years ago when I met him, is being treated today as if that line had just been broken last week. The line is fictional. It is internal to the media It's being erased, not because it's time, but because some guy in another newspaper wrote something, so we have to as well. 
It's being erased because the guy on the other station said something. Did you see the graphic on CNN? Conventional wisdom times groupthink times a run on the bank. Only for good for once. Finally, some in position to sound the alarm have, quote, Trump calls political enemies vermin, echoing dictators Hitler, comma, Mussolini. The headline in the Washington Post, quote, Trump compares political foes to vermin on Veterans Day, echoing Nazi propaganda. The headline in Forbes magazine, quote, it's official with vermin. Trump is now using straight up Nazi talk. The headline in the New Republic. Trump is Hitler? Quote, those who try to make that ridiculous assertion are clearly snowflakes and their entire existence will be crushed when Trump returns to the White House, unquote. That was the spokesman Stephen Chung. Later yesterday, Stephen Chung realized, or somebody smarter than Stephen Chung realized, what he said. And Chung then insisted he had intended to say, and their sad, miserable existence will be crushed when Trump returns to the White House. And that Chung or somebody thought the horrifying part of his threat was the word entire rather than the phrase existence will be crushed. Tells you all you really need to know that Trump and Stephen Chung and Stephen Miller and all the others in their gang know exactly what they are saying and exactly what it means and exactly who they plan to kill. Moments after Chung's correction, Trump raised the stakes yet again, sampling from another dictatorship. Quote, Jack Smith, Andrew Weissman, Lisa Monaco, the team of losers and misfits from Crew and all the rest of the radical left zealots and thugs who have been working illegally for years to take me down will end up in a mental institution by the time my next term as president is successfully completed, unquote. Forced psychiatric institutionalization was less the Nazis than it was the Soviets. He's branching out. I guess I'm on that list. You? See you inside. For a time, Trump seemed to understand that to keep spaces between his overt quotations of and imitations of and emulations of Hitler was his way to slip them past those who were looking for excuses to not believe and looking for excuses to not report. Or perhaps with his deteriorating mind, those spaces were inadvertent and simply accidentally protected him. But now... Something has happened, deliberate or accidental, within him. The Hitler phrases, the Nazi obsessions with blood and purity and poisoning and vermin, they are beginning to be the only things that come into his mind anymore. His rage is growing. Whatever is physically wrong with him, feeding his fury and his insanity, that is growing too, like a cancer. September 20th, Dubuque, Iowa, on immigrants. It's the blood of our country. What they're doing is destroying our country. September 24th, 
an interview with something called the National Pulse. Nobody has ever seen anything like we're witnessing right now. It is a very sad thing for our country. Uh, it's poisoning the blood of our country. Uh, it's so bad, and people are coming in with disease. That's Hitler talking. That's what Hitler said. Last Thursday, November 9th at 1.03 in the morning, we are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious nation. And last Saturday, November 11th, Veterans Day, at 1.25 in the afternoon, he wrote, In honor of our great veterans on Veterans Day, we pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. The threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than the threat from within. That's Hitler. Today, especially in honor of our great veterans on Veterans Day, we pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. The threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than the threat from within. Our threat is from within. Trump isn't just playing at being Hitler. He is enjoying playing at being Hitler. Trump talks about the communist vermin and how he would root them out. Hitler talked about the communist vermin and how he would root them out. Trump talks about the threat from within. Hitler was more explicit, but not much, the enemy from within. Trump advocates for conformity and suppression of dissent. One people, one family, one glorious nation. For Hitler, it was more lyrical. One people, one realm, one leader. Trump always sounds like Regis Philbin reading Hitler. Trump has now moved to the sanguine imagery, migrants poisoning the blood of our country. Hitler began with his nonsense of pure Aryan blood, and he ended by killing those who he could get who did not have pure Aryan blood. Trump's puppeteer Stephen Miller has revealed plans for, quote, vast holding facilities that would function as staging centers built by the military and operated by Homeland Security. There's a suggestive word, homeland, enabling, quote, Trump to unleash the vast arsenal of federal powers to implement the most spectacular migration crackdown. Hitler's view was identical. His terminology was simpler. He just called them concentration camps. Stephen Miller's rapture at this underscores that we are not merely witnessing Trump using the latest in a decades-long list of bad advertising slogans for products that he will never deliver anyway. He means this. They mean this. And they do not mean it just rhetorically. Any activists, Miller said, who doubt Trump's resolve in the slightest are making a drastic error. The immigration legal activists won't know what's happening. Miller has just told you that Trump is Hitler. Each day brings two or three more stories like this, underscoring that the Trump we saw in office was nothing, nothing compared to what he has planned for 2025. 
Often these stories are about the past, like with the release of the Jenna Ellis and Sidney Powell proffer videos, which I'll get to in a moment. But often like the Miller story, they are about Trump measuring the windows for the proverbial new drapes. The windows at the vast holding facilities or the forced psychiatric centers. Hundreds of people are spending tens of millions of dollars, they write in Axios, they being the co-founders of Axios. The Trump leaks are going to only the most receptive. Hundreds of people are spending tens of millions of dollars to install a pre-vetted pro-Trump army of up to 54,000 loyalists across government to rip off the restraints imposed on the previous 46 presidents. That's got army and restraints in it. Well, this is Agenda 47 plus Project 2025 to make sure that there are no mere Republicans in the White House, that there would be only those who had figuratively, perhaps literally, sworn an oath to obey Trump. AI is being used to screen them, powered by Oracle, no less. Social media accounts are being scoured. How serious they all are is measured in what is a sad reference, even for those of us who hate the man. Quote, the people leading these efforts aren't figures like Rudy Giuliani. They're experienced people, many with very unconventional and elastic views of presidential power and traditional rule of law, unquote. You know, Nazis. 80 different Partners, 80 different organizations, Axios reports, make up Project 2025. One of them belongs to Charlie Kirk, the fascist and lunatic who in July said President Biden should be, quote, put in prison and or given the death penalty for crimes against America, unquote. Another one is run by Russ Vogt, who just last week mapped out how to turn the Department of Justice into a real-life Orwellian Department of Revenge, you don't need a statutory change at all. You need a mindset change. You need an attorney general in a White House counsel's office that don't view themselves as trying to protect the department from the president. Russ Vogt is now referenced by Axios as being behind a plan to, quote, rigorously review all general and flag officer promotions to make sure the senior military officials line up with Trump's philosophies. They're bringing an army with them. Jeff Clark or somebody or a lot of somebodies right now are planning out the prosecutions of William Barr and John Kelly and General Milley and Jack Smith. And no, I'm sorry. No, no, I got it wrong. Jack Smith is going to be forced into a psychiatric institution. <laughs> sorry, he's not going to be prosecuted. But they are all, quoting The Washington Post, drafting plans to potentially invoke the Insurrection Act on Trump's first day in office to allow him to deploy the military against civil demonstrations. In other words, to allow Trump to kill civilians with the army. And of course, Trump and Stephen Miller waiting for the bell to ring, quoting the New York Times, because Trump plans to scour the country for unauthorized immigrants and deport people by the millions per year. Scour again. And as I first pointed out in 2016, we really do need to remember two codicils to that. Number one, Surprisingly enough, all the immigrants are not just going to say, okay, you got me, and leave for the nearest border. Many of them will try to get away, and then Trump will shoot them. And 
It's not as if non-immigrants would not try to stop this. And of course, when they did that, they would go to those vast holding facilities that would function as staging centers along with the immigrants. Just like in Nazi Germany, the vast centers that are just camps, camps with concentration, concentration camps. It must also be caveated that Trump tried to do this in 2017 and failed. But as with January 6th, we must see it from his diseased point of view. These were not failures. They were practice. For every once in a while, there is a second story revealing something else that he tried last time that he will try harder at next time. But it gets buried behind something bigger like Agenda 47 or the army of 54,000 Trump Nazis. We come back always to the idea that as Trump believed the Department of Justice was his, he believed the military was also his. Jonathan Carl of ABC has written a book about all this, and there's a lot in it about the well-covered meeting between Jack Smith and Trump's lawyers on July 27th that we knew nothing about. And that got most of the headlines yesterday because it turned out that for an hour, per John Carl, Trump's ambulance-chasing lawyers talked and talked and talked to Jack Smith about why he should not indict Trump for January 6th, and the special counsel literally said nothing and just stared at them with that stare. The only thing he said was, would you like a glass of water? Cool story, John Carl. But Politico got the wrong John Carl excerpt, and thus they buried the lead, or more correctly, the many leads, because John Carl had just a few other nuggets in that book, like Trump calling Mo Brooks last year, the former congressman, last year, 2022, while Mo Brooks was running for Senate, Trump had already endorsed him. Mo Brooks, who might have been from Congress, his wildest fascist ally in the coup attempt, spoke right before Trump on January 6th. But when Trump called, he needed from Mo Brooks a favor. Three favors, actually. He wanted Mo Brooks to publicly call for Joe Biden to be removed from the White House. This is in 2022. He wanted Mo Brooks to publicly then call for an immediate rerunning of the election in 2022. And he wanted Mo Brooks in 2022 to publicly insist that Trump be reinstated. In short, Trump wanted Brooks to make demands that could have easily actually touched off a military overthrow of the government of the United States of America, or a full-scale civil war, or both. Maybe the real headline here is, Mo Brooks declined. Whereupon Trump withdrew his endorsement and Mo Brooks lost the primary and his political career ended. And speaking of that... Carl also writes that the reason the same Republicans who attacked Trump after the coup did a 180 within weeks and began making excuses for him was that Trump called the RNC chairwoman, Ronna McDaniel, on the morning of his last day in office on January 20th, 2021, and he told her that if they did not get in line behind him, he would be leaving the Republican Party to form his own party. And God, how I wish he had done that. What that means is, since January 20th, 2021, Trump has been holding the Republican Party hostage. Which also means they have each and collectively missed the opportunity to bury Trump alive politically by refusing. As recently as 2008, 
the presidential campaign slogan of the Republican Party was country first. May they all burn in hell. John Carl has also written of what the House January 6th committee found about Trump's final days, but did not put them entirely before the public. The Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy and its chief of staff, James McConville, had announced that the military would play no role in determining the outcome of the 2020 election, nor in the transition of power. And this infuriated Trump. Trump was busy at that time huddling with Jeff Clark and such experts as Sidney, the plea deal Powell, and the guy from Overstock.com and Mike Lindell about having the military seize the voting machines and declaring martial law, as one does. Trump, quoting John Carl, sent top aide Johnny McEntee to warn Pentagon leaders that Trump was irate. McEntee relayed Trump's concerns to Acting Defense Secretary Chris Miller and took some notes on the conversation to pass back to the West Wing. And there is a photo of the note torn in pieces in one of the five hourly Trumpian prepubescent rages and taped back together by aides more loyal to your national archives than to Trump. Quote, this is what the note said, quote, Chris Miller spoke to both of them and anticipates no more statements coming out. If another happens, he will fire them, unquote. And there it is, the 2020 Trumpian warm-up that we just talked about for 2025, when all the generals who are disloyal to Trump will be fired, and all the generals who are loyal to Trump will be firing at us. Although... He might yet be stopped by scared weasels. Scared weasels rushing to save their own sorry asses. Like Sidney Powell and Jenna Ellis. Turns out those proffers, this is what I know, this is what I'll testify to, this is who you'll be able to convict. The proffers in the plea deals that Ellis and Powell made with Fonnie Willis in Georgia, they're on video. And really good video, too. And somebody leaked highlights to ABC News. There are 16 suspects. There would have been a 17th, but I'm doubting Trump did this. As to who leaked them, because the other defendants in the case and their lawyers would each get copies of the proffers and the proffer videos. Somebody among them wants to make sure Trump goes down and goes down hard. From one of the excerpts from ABC News, they asked Jen Ellis about the 2020 White House Christmas party and the skeevy Trump social media guy, Dan Scavino. The conversation was around December 19th of 2020 uh, at the White House Christmas party. And I uh, emphasized him, I thought that the, um, the, the claims and the ability to challenge uh, the election results was essentially over because he said um, to me in a kind of excited tone, well, we don't care and we're not going to leave. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, the boss, meaning President Trump and everyone understood the boss. Um, that's what we all called him. Um, he said the boss uh, is not going to leave under any circumstances. We are just going to stay in power. And I said to him, well, it doesn't quite work that way, you realize. And he said, we don't care. The boss is not going to leave. Ah, the boss is not going to leave. Then go in with guns and get him. Anywho, kind of suggests he won't leave next time, huh? 
I don't know if legally the Biden campaign can actually use that video in a campaign commercial, but I'm damned sure Democratic allies can. Bon appetit, boys. But wait, there's more. Not only did Sidney Powell throw Giuliani under the bus, but she confirmed what has only been reported previously. Remember, this will be sworn witness testimony now. Not somebody like John Carl reporting it or even something like the January 6th committee reporting it. This is sworn witness testimony by the person most directly affected that Trump was ready to name her Sidney Crazy Ass Powell, who admits on the tape she knows nothing of election law, name her special counsel in charge of investigating the election, and her orders were to seize the voting machines. And... She was there when Trump was told, you lost. What was um, President Trump's sense of what you would do as special counsel? I guess he assumed and I would have thought that I would have looked at uh, putting into effect a provision of 13848 that would have allowed the machines to be secured in four or five states. How do you choose which states that you would target? How would I have chosen that? By the ones where there were the most uh, statistical anomalies. Ms. Powell, were you ever around when someone, anyone, told uh, Donald Trump that he had lost the election? Oh, yeah. Who? Uh, Pat Cipollone, Eric Hirschman, Derek Lyons all thought he'd lost. Was that in the December 18th meeting? Yes. What, what was um, President Trump's reaction when, I guess, this cadre of advisors would say you lost? It was like, uh, well, they would say that and then they'd walk out and he'd go, see, this is what I deal with all the time. These are not smoking guns, but they are useful tools because even with the absolute terror of the last week, as Trump morphed fully into Hitler, our cliched toolbox is suddenly overflowing, and even reporters are beginning to listen, and more importantly, to worry that they are about to be scooped because Washington's hottest new beat is Trump is Hitler. Well, what to do about it? As James Earl Jones says in Field of Dreams, reaching for a tire iron, after Kevin Costner has tried to kidnap him with a non-existent gun, there are rules here? Oh no, there are no rules here. Unfortunately, we are still sticking to the rules. The most efficient next step would be for Homeland Security to declare the Federalist Society a terrorist organization and arrest all of its leaders. That would turn Agenda 47 into Agenda Make a Plea Deal. But we are not them, so we will not do that, unfortunately. I will suggest that however slowly they work, words do work. We've just seen that in the last few days. They are not the solution, but they open doors to the solution, and they can create a tidal wave. It was last September 19th, not 2023, but 2022, when Trump was telling Mo Brooks to demand an immediate new election. It was September 19th, 2022, on this podcast that I began by saying we must face the reality that Trump is America's Hitler. We must use the real words. There are no more dog whistles. 
as of now, as of this weekend, as of this morning, they have begun to salute him as others saluted Hitler. They've begun to play the music and chant the slogans of QAnon. They have begun to weave in the sing-song melodies of the televangelists and the Christo-fascists. They have stopped pretending. So too must we stop pretending America's Hitler is here. Took a while. 429 days to be precise, but now even the Washington Post has begun to sit up and take notice. Maybe the New York Times, which first covered Trump's complete morphing into Hitler in New Hampshire with the headline, Trump takes Veterans Day speech in a very different direction, and then changed it to the more accurate, about 3% more accurate. In Veterans Day speech, Trump promises to, quote, root out the left. Maybe the New York Times may be stirring out of its coma. But the thing is, all the stuff the Times dismissed over the weekend, it dismissed 14 months ago. The evocations of Hitlerian cadence are nothing new. This, right now, this is literally from September 17, 2022. Does this sound familiar to you we are one movement one people one family and one glorious american nation so he said that again saturday and some folks new to you know hearing murderers threaten to murder you they said did you hear what he said all right we can criticize them later right now just say welcome aboard and let's all slowly break it to them just how late it really is just how long they have let it go. Just how starkly it is midnight in America. The White House put out a statement yesterday about Trump and vermin and rooting out. The White House said something. It's not a bad statement, but it has been stuffed through the proverbial deflavorizing machine. Trump's language, quote, would be unrecognizable to our founders, but horrifyingly recognizable to American veterans who put on their country's uniform in the 1940s. The quote isn't bad, although it will require a lot of people to think, wait, what happened in the 1940s? Big band music. He's talking about Glenn Miller. Pearl Harbor? Nazis? Oh, Nazis! Also, the quote was from spokesperson Andrew Bates. The speaker next time needs to be the president of the United States. Joe Biden needs to call Trump Hitler, or at least call him a Nazi. Mr. Bates should not be opaque about this, as he was in that quote. Mr. Biden can be. The president can say Trump has, uh, I don't know, every right to be a Nazi, There's not much you and I can do to stop him from being a Nazi. If he wants to be a Nazi, if his supporters want to be Nazis, that's their choice. All we can do, President Biden can say, is do the people's business and vote blue. You know, vote for the side that's fighting Nazis. Something like that. Workshop it. You have my number, Mr. President. As to the rest of us, I really think the time has arrived when perhaps we should use these terms openly. Hell, Hillary Clinton made the comp last week on The View. Making the comparison without that nagging suspicion that we are violating Godwin's law, that whoever invokes Hitler and the Nazis first loses the argument, and that nagging suspicion that we are more importantly violating the survivor's law, 
There is only one Hitler, and that was Hitler. But the point of that is to make sure that that statement remains valid, that there was only one Hitler. Because there is one warming up in our bullpen. Once the comparison between Trump and Hitler could be misinterpreted as hyperbole and alarmism and political science fiction, it was Godwin's law wearing orange makeup. And while some of us who actually knew Trump said, as those of us who knew that in 1990 his first wife and the guy who gave it to him confirmed Trump kept a book of Hitler's speeches in a nightstand in his bedroom, we knew that in him there were all the elements of mass murder and dictatorship. So many others thought those guardrails that have saved us since Aaron frickin' Burr made it so that no man, no matter how insane, no matter how power-mad, no matter how diseased, no matter how devoid of the slightest concern or understanding of anyone but himself, anything but himself, that no man could ever erase democracy in America. We who saw horror hoped those who saw aberration that they were right and we were wrong. But we were not wrong. We must use the real words. We have to face the reality that Trump is America's Hitler. Our Hitler is here now. Call him Hitler. Call them Nazis. If you squirm with unease, I get it. I did once. I squirmed with unease. I, I, I knew Trump. He wrote me a fan letter. I can't believe I shook this guy's frickin' hand. If it's easier, call him baby Hitler. We have to use the word. Make it easier for President Biden to use the word, too. Because we are there. He is our Hitler. We have to stop him. Because he's got all he needs in place, ready to go, except for two things. Re-election and the uniforms. So we leave our discussion of our Hitler for a moment, because also of interest here, the Supreme Court just established a code of ethics, only it's not really a code. And there's nobody but the justices reviewing the justices' conduct. And there's basically no way to break the code anyway, because the ethics code is almost completely devoid of ethics. I'll use the James Earl Jones quote once again. There are rules here? Oh no, there are no rules here. That's next. This is Countdown. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
You ever get the feeling the city walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating your soul? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe chase some elk, fish a private stream. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there, and finding your own piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, location, the kind of hunting or fishing you dream of. Land.com. It's where the adventure begins. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. This is Countdown with Keith Alberman. ahead of us on countdown there is not going to be a rush to buy the 2024 calendars from american maltese association rescue but maybe there should be two years now since he's gone and there are actually new developments in the story of my late hospice pup mishu and how in death he may have helped other dogs to live and he is on the cover of the 2024 calendar first time for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. (laughs) Worst Fox News. Old familiar favorite, Jason Donner was a Capitol Hill reporter and producer there for 12 years. First, after the 2020 election, Donner fact-checked the Rudy Giuliani Four Seasons Landscaping press conference embarrassment on Twitter. Then... On January 6th, 2021, Donner happened to be in the Capitol at his job as hell broke loose. And via talk back to the control room, he listened in astonishment as Fox anchors and guests explained that the protests were peaceful and it was understandable that they were disappointed. And, you know, the bear spray was just in case there was suddenly an influx of bears. He said he told the execs, quote, I'm your Capitol Hill producer inside the Capitol where tear gas is going off on the second floor. Rioters are storming the building. Reports of shots fired outside the House chamber. I don't want to hear any of this effing spit on our air ever again because you're going to get us all killed. Later in the year, he complained about much of the Tucker Carlson fantasy stories about January 6th. Shock of shocks. Donner says last year Fox News fired him. Well, of course, they fired Tucker Carlson, too. But Donner is suing, claiming he was fired because he attempted to report the truth like his contract said he was supposed to, and his rights were violated. As if to provide fresh evidence the same day Donner sues, a Fox commentator brought up our Hitler, referring to his opponents as vermin, and John Roberts, supposedly an anchor there, but ever increasingly just as shrill and crazy as the rest of them, replied as if reading from the official Both Sides handbook, John Roberts said, quote, 
Hillary Clinton called her opponents deplorable at one point, so there's language on both sides. Deplorable, vermin, to be rooted out. Deplorable, well, it's deplorable. <sighs> John Roberts is an idiot. It goes with the name. Worser, Brandon Herrera. He's one of those guys who thinks your standard Republican congressman is too liberal. Brandon Herrera is primarying Tony Gonzalez from the Texas 23rd, and he decided the best way to do this was to recreate the assassination of Martin Luther King on video. He's a Trumpist. He posted a selfie with our Hitler, and in the video, he does recreate the assassination to see if he can make the same wounds via the same shot angles. And when he was done with that, he walks up to the lifelike Martin Luther King dummy and shoots it in the head several times and laughs. Herrera is also an idiot. During his ISIS-level cringeworthy video, Herrera explained that Martin Luther King was the reason kids get out of school in February. The King holiday is the third Monday in January. On the other hand, if you are sexually aroused by guns like this guy Herrera clearly is, I guess a month off is actually surprisingly close to reality. But our winners, the worst, the Supreme Court of the United States of America, John Roberts, the other John Roberts, not the Fox guy, although they have equal sway over the court justices, don't they? None. John Roberts, Chief Justice, Harlan Crow, owner and operator. After two years of unremitting scandals involving these conservative nut jobs on the court whose main concern in life is keeping men from wearing dresses while they themselves wear flowing robes, the court has now issued a voluntary code of ethics. A code of ethics. Among other things, it's not just voluntary as in, we are volunteering to do this even though nowhere does it say we have to and Congress did not ask us to. It is also voluntary among the nine justices, meaning these are not actually rules. The current nine justices have simply said, okay, we're gonna do this and we won't do this. New justices could come onto the court and just ignore the damn thing. By the way, there is also almost no we won't do this in the whole damn thing. Item 4C specifically permits justices to participate in fundraising for law-related nonprofits. In other words, it will now be written down that Sam the Sham Alito can do galas for the Federalist Society. It's not wrong with gala luncheons. And Clarence Thomas can raffle off, you know, rulings on cases just as long as the criminal or terrorist organization that Sam and Clarence give the money to is nonprofit. And oh, by the way, there is no enforcement. You break the rules of the new code of ethics and there is no outside group monitoring your behavior or punishing you in any way. You can do whatever you want. They can't even make you wear your gown over your head for an hour or something as punishment. The Supreme Court and its ethics rules, codifying for all time the rules that will protect its tradition of having no ethics. Today's worst persons in the world! the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic me and things i promised not to tell 
not an egotistical reminiscence of my career this time, but a story that I first told you about a year ago. The anniversary was Sunday. I could not not honor him again. He is with me every day, and there are actually some important developments in the aftermath of his time with me. So I want to tell you about him again. His name was Mishu. I have mentioned I never had a dog until the year 2012. I was allergic as a kid. I still am allergic to the big fur dogs, and I was repeatedly warned by my allergists as a kid, as an adult, as a soon-to-be-really-old man, that hypoallergenic dogs were not necessarily a thing. And if you had a minor reaction to the hair of a poodle or a Westie or a Maltese or another hypoallergenic dog, you were lucky. If you did not have a minor reaction, if you had a major reaction, what you would have with that would be heartbreak. Well, I did not. I did not have heartbreak. I was blessed by the opposite of heartbreak related to dogs. And rapidly I realized, no dogs? I had wasted the first 53 years of my life. So I have tried to make up for that ever since. My gal Stevie and I just celebrated the 11th anniversary of having adopted one another. Rose's birthday is next month, her 10th, the big 1-0. I had often looked into getting a third dog, and I had gotten heavily involved in rescue work, and then in 2018, those two paths crossed. I got a call from my friend Sue Levitt, who runs the rescue part of American Maltese Association for the entire company now. She is the president of the operation. And she said, we have something special and challenging, and if you don't want to do it, understood, but we really think you might be the best. Well, flattery will get you everywhere. And she said he's a three-month-old Maltese pup, and he has a terrible, terrible heart condition, and they are not sure if he will make it past ten months. I thought about it for about five seconds. I said yes. And soon, there he was in my apartment. Spaghetti was his name, and he was trying to boss Stevie and Rose around. And I knew he needed to stay, and I knew he needed a real good new name. And if you rename a dog, you're supposed to try to make it something that sounds like the other name so you don't overly confuse them. Spaghetti, Getty, Teddy, Ted, my dad's name. Perfect. I was so prepared for the worst with Ted that it was July and I did not buy him any stuff for winter because there was no reason to assume he was going to see winter. Then I took him to the Animal Medical Center here in New York, and the cardiologist, Dennis Trafney, said, well, he's got a heavy valve in there, and if we don't do anything, he's got five to seven years. But, he said, with medication, that would be like seven to ten years, but I can operate on him and probably give him a normal lifespan, and I can thread this filament I'm holding in through his jugular vein and into his heart, and then we stop his heart electrically for three seconds, and I push this button on this filament, and on the other end of the filament is a tiny balloon, and it pushes the valve open, and you just keep doing it as long as he can stand it, and it's like knocking the rust off a hinge just by opening the door again and again, and I said, wait, go back to the filament part. I don't see any filament, and he said, sorry, And he moved it in front of a black background card. And there it was. And I said, great. 
And then I said, well, why did the vet who, who got the exam and the, the electrocardiogram and all the visuals, why did he think that Ted here would not make it past 10 months? And Dr. Trafney said, well, if you are a vet, you might see this condition once in your career. I operate on it three times a month. Ted is now five and a half years old. He is sitting at my feet as I speak. He is a five and a half year old boy in a dog's body. And every once in a while, he likes to come in here and record the show with me. On walks, Ted flirts with every human girl he can find. He hunts them. He looks for them, preferably in groups or three or four, sitting on blankets in Central Park. I tell people this story and they don't believe it. And when I leave a group of girls who are sitting on a blanket whom Ted has visited, I say, just watch what happens next. Sure enough, he knows the difference. He is a little boy. Ted barks at all dogs who are bigger than he is. And then he goes up and says hi to them. He has enemies, though. The printer. Oh, the scripts for this show? None has ever been printed out that Ted was not furious about. He hates the plunger. If I open the door that the plunger used to be behind, he goes crazy. He hates thunder. He hates fireworks. And he hates at least a dozen television commercials. Now, he does not react as many dogs do to scary things by being scared. He confronts them. Ted is a piece of work. One other note, he also hates the theme music from the NHL network, possibly because they have animation of the various animals for whom the NHL teams are named coming towards him. Anyway, as you can probably guess, that operation went so well that they were an hour late giving Ted back to me because, as the surgical resident with the bemused look on his face said, he had had to do all the tests a second time because he was worried he'd screwed up the first set of results because the results were too good. If I could have gotten luckier, given the prognosis with which Ted arrived, I don't know how I did. Right, Ted? Teddy. Well, I've already put him to sleep. Not an uncommon reaction to listeners to this program. Since then, Ted has twice been joined by a fourth dog in our family. As I said, I'm trying to make up for lost time. I really do think four is the limit. Although there have been several days when I've been convinced I was about to bring in a fifth and give it a shot. The current fourth slot on my roster is occupied by a wonderful geriatric rescue named Minet. That's French for Kitty. Lord knows the confusion of the first 15 years of his life as the dog of a French teacher in Hell's Kitchen in New York. He's named Kitty. Minet is the one who came to me supposedly with dementia. I've told you his story before. And he's a little confused. He's 16 now. Hell, I'm a little confused and I'm not even 65. Minet is the one who did not have dementia. He had bad teeth. We took them all out, and literally from the time he woke up from the anesthesia and every day since, in the 16 months he's been here, he's gotten a little younger, like every three or four hours. Best dog on a walk I have ever met, let alone lived with. He knows you are going to slow down before you do. If he's walking with another dog, he matches them stride for stride. When they stop, he stops. I've never heard him issue a cross sound to another dog. 
He is serene and content at home under any circumstances outdoors. Now he has begun to leap over all curbs and often over the stripes on the crosswalks or even narrow drains or lines on sidewalks. For the longest time, I thought that was a sign of dementia, that he was doing it out of confusion. But he now flies over 20 or 30 of them every single walk. And I bought a selfie stick and humiliated myself with a selfie stick to take pictures of him in slow motion to see exactly what was going on. And it's clear there are two different leaps. He has one leap for when he is going over a curb. And there's a different one with a different sort of stance for when he's just going over a flat surface that he wants to leap over because there's a line there. It's pretty clear he does this because he still can. I don't know who sent him to me. I have suspicions it was Mishu. But Mine clearly is here to teach me that lesson every day. Do it because you still can. Mine has a little kidney issue, and he's good with the pad. He tries all the time, and sometimes he gets on the pad and pees off the pad. He has a little kidney issue. He also has one eye that isn't very much good anymore, but otherwise he is in startlingly good health. He eats like a horse. He eats more than the young dogs. He eats twice as much as the young dogs. He's gained four pounds since he's with me. And if you know your Maltese, that's about half a Maltese. He is the happiest dog outdoors I have ever seen. But that fourth roster spot before Mine, that was Mishu. When my friend Sue from Maltese Rescue called again in August of 2021, she said, I have a really, really tough case this time, and I do not think there is a chance that there could be an unexpectedly positive outcome like the one you've had with Ted. She said, this is a puppy. He's barely three months old. The family loves him. They adore him, but there are two young kids, and frankly, the mother believes accurately that they are just too young to watch this little dog die. His name was Mishu. They were a Polish family. Polish for little bear is Mishu. And the disease he had was Tetralogy of Fallot. If that sounds at all familiar to you, in a human child, it can be repaired now. It used to kill children by the time they were 10. But in a human child, they can now do surgery, but the surgery lasts about 12 hours. Jimmy Kimmel's son had it. He talked about it a lot when he was talking about the healthcare system in this country. In dogs, there have been some early experiments in surgery, almost exclusively for bigger dogs. As of Mishu's time, they really had not succeeded on any dog less than, say, 20 or 25 pounds. If you've ever seen the drawings of M.C. Escher, the famous illustrator, where the same staircase goes up and down at the same time, that's what a heart afflicted with Tetralogy of Fallot looks like. There are arteries going over the heart and under it and others that take the oxygenated blood in the wrong direction. The sufferer of Tetralogy of Fallot never gets enough oxygen. In August 2021, Mishu arrived. It's easy to romanticize things like this, especially in retrospect. There was something magical about him, though. He was very, very sick. His tongue and gums were purple from the lack of oxygen. He was tiny, 
dwarfed by my other three dogs and because he was three months old. And yet he would start trouble with them, silently charging Ted or going up and yapping at Stevie and soon getting all three of them playing and fighting with each other. And that's all the strength he had. A minute of this tops and he had to sit down and simply watch the chaos he had created and clearly loved to create. And he also clearly loved them. If two of the dogs were lying near each other but not together, he would lie in the empty space between them deliberately so that his head rested on one and his pack paws on or against the other. And soon they would respond to his presence by arranging themselves and cuddling together with a space for him. They had not done that before Mishu came. Once I was stretched out, legs up on my couch, and the four of them climbed in, two by my feet, two by my knees. I called Mishu's name, and he turned and he looked at me, and then the four of them almost simultaneously fell asleep. It was such a simple thing, yet easily it remains one of the most extraordinary and wonderful moments of my life. And I prayed that night, and not for the last time, that if there was no miracle meant for Mishu, that at least when he left us, he would be in my arms when he went. Mishu was an athlete. He just was an athlete who had no stamina. In the pen, I'd keep him in for his own safety when I had to go out. He would get up on his hind legs and stand. I would come back and see him standing in his pen. Or try to get out of his pen. Once he did get out of his pen... I came home and he was marching around the house. And he did that confidently around the place. And he loved to move and to run and to play. And then he would have to stop. Mishu also enjoyed food as much as any dog I have ever known, more even than Mine. He gained almost a pound a month while he was with me. If you approached him with a treat, he would literally punch the air with one of his front legs like an athlete celebrating a success, often with one and then the other, a little one-two punch like a boxer. And the sheer joy of that never failed to make me smile and laugh. And I often go back to look at the video when I need to smile or laugh. Put him on his back next to you, jab a finger at his paws, and you'd be in a boxing match with a four-pound puppy who exulted in duking it out with you. And you always knew when the fight was over, Mish would stop throwing hands or throwing paws, and he would simply take his front paws and grab onto your finger and hold. He once did this for a solid minute. I have never felt more as if I were truly communicating with a dog than when Mishu would hold my finger. Knowing his attitude, I really am surprised he didn't pull my finger. He was an extraordinary happy puppy even when he felt bad physically. Those were harrowing times. Mishu would be sitting on my lap or walking on the floor or just chilling with the other pups when he would suddenly tense up, sometimes letting out a cry. Twice that cry was exactly like that of a young human boy. It was such a startling sound, so clear, so unmistakable, so unbelievable that the other dogs would stop and stare with what could genuinely be described as a look of alarm. 
Most times the tensing was my cue to grab him and hold him as tight as I could, because that inability to get oxygen to all the parts of his body, particularly the brain, of course, would cause his body to contract and writhe. And if he was on any surface other than the ground or the floor, it could literally throw him off a couch to the floor. It was rigid, and then he would snap, and then he would fall. The first time he did that, my veterinarian was here, and she said, you may now have to take him to the emergency room. She said, that's essentially what a dog does just before he faints. But then within seconds, it would stop. His body would relax. More or less by accident, I discovered that after one of these seizures, he seemed to be soothed if I would carry him and walk him around, gently rocking him in my arms and talking to him as I did so. Mishu and I solved a lot of the world's problems in those little walks, out in the fresh air, on the balcony, or just around the house. He would often doze off, but just as often he would, within minutes, be ready to start playing again. And so I had, in my little flock of four lovely dogs, a sweet, wise, serene, playful puppy who liked to grasp my finger with his paws and loved everything about life who was wise beyond his years, and he was dying. Well, I could not not try to find out if there was something to be done to make his life longer or happier. What we tried to do when I resume the story of Mishu next. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You ever get the feeling the city walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating your soul? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe chase some elk, fish a private stream. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there, and finding your own piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, location, the kind of hunting or fishing you dream of. Land.com. It's where the adventure begins. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Resuming the story of my Maltese puppy Mishu, his heart so bad it pumped oxygenated blood the wrong way and limited him to brief bursts of energy, and he never really knew how sick he was or that he had been dealt a bad hand. He just took the life he was given and loved and was loved. Of course, I knew what sadness this was, this extraordinary soul trapped in a body that would betray him 
at any time, but certainly no matter when that happened, it would be before his time. So I had to at least try to see if something could keep him here longer, or at least make him feel better while he was with us. We went to see the city's top cardiologist for dogs, and there was not, although he thought keeping those cans of a minute's worth of oxygen, you sometimes see football players breathing from on the sidelines, he thought that might help a little relieve the pain. Soon I had dozens of those cans of oxygen in a hall closet, and I was discussing building him an oxygen tent, but the problem wasn't his breathing. He got all the oxygen he would normally need. It was finding some way to get the oxygen pumped by his fatally flawed heart to carry the oxygen around his body. It's fine if you have all the cabs in the world and there are no roads. Well, there was no way to fix this. The median age of survival with dogs with Tetralogy of Fallow was just about two years. His cardiologist brought up his case on a board of international experts in canine cardiac care, and they agreed there was no chance he would survive any operation, let alone the experimental surgery for this devastating malformation. Thus, the visits to the hospital turned out to be more about letting people meet him and hold him. There was an extraordinary soothing quality to holding Mishu. I heard it again and again from people at an animal hospital. What a special little soul. And he loved to be held. I took him everywhere they would let me take him. He was a regular at my weekly physical therapy for my arthritic joints. My therapist adored him. She'd just hold him and tell him stories. I took him to the Apple store once. I am happy to say he did not like that at all. He went with me and the other dogs for walks. He didn't walk. He was always in a bag draped over my shoulder. He did not have the stamina to walk for very long. I never saw him fall asleep on a walk, though. The world fascinated him. The inevitable finally came at this time of year in 2021. Throughout the last week, the little pre-faints increased. Mishu's happiness did not decrease. Two days before the end, I approached him with a treat with my camera phone rolling. He punched with the left, and then he punched with the right, and he ate the treat, and he licked his purple lips, and when I surprised him with a second treat, he did it all over again. On the afternoon of the 12th of November, 2021, I was holding Mishu in my lap as I sat and looked at the peak foliage in Central Park. Then, with no warning, he suddenly let out that near-human cry, and I held him, and I stood up, and I walked him around the balcony again. And then I had to sit him down in his pen for a second, and I was just picking him back up when he tensed up, just like all the other times, and died. Died as I picked him back up. The special little soul was gone. His body was getting cold with stunning rapidity. And something inside me calmly said, hmm, not yet. I, I, I just don't think he's ready. And with no training and absolutely no clue what I was doing, I tried CPR on him. You have to try. You have to try. I had so little idea what on earth I was doing that after breathing air in and out of his lifeless body, 
I moved my face away as if I were going to spit out water before reminding myself, no, dummy, that would be for drowning. He didn't drown. He had a stroke or a heart attack. I must have done five or six breaths and was thinking, how long do I do this before I say goodbye? When I heard him exhale, I waited for it to stop or to be a false alarm or some, I don't know, some sort of physical oddity caused by all the air I had pushed into his lungs, but it it wasn't any of that. Damned if this little dog had not somehow taught me how to resuscitate him. He was alive. Then he was dead and getting cold. Now he was alive again with a regular breath and, for him, a regular heartbeat. It was rush hour on Friday afternoon, and there was a bottleneck and a bridge approach between Mishu and I and the hospital, and I had visions of being stuck in traffic for half an hour or an hour or Lord knows how long, and almost nothing they could do for him then if we somehow got there in time. But you have to try. If he didn't teach me that lesson, then Mine told me that lesson. You have to try. I loaded a bag full of those cans of oxygen, and I got in the car, and the driver realized my distress, and he asked what he could do to help, and I said, listen, don't run any lights, but if somebody wants to duck in in front of you in traffic, don't let them. Don't stop unless you have to, and when you do stop, help me unwrap the plastic from these oxygen cans. They are what are keeping him alive, and very calmly, he did that, and I kept blowing the oxygen into Mishu's mouth and nose. And we made it there in 11 minutes, faster than the record time I'd ever made it to the hospital. The streets literally parted for Mishu. At the hospital, somehow I handed him off to the emergency room doctor, saying with an evenness I could not believe I could muster, my dog is dying, he has tetralogy of fallow, and then they rushed him off, and then I briefed a second doctor on everything, including the human-like cry from Mishu and his resuscitation. And I told her he had been seen by a cardiologist there and told her which one. And she said, he's still here. I just saw him. I'll get him. So now Mishu was being worked on by one of the leading experts in canine cardiology in the world. And yet still I knew there was, there was no hope. As they examined him, I managed to text Sue from the Maltese rescue, and she came to the hospital, too. And three of the people from other departments in the hospital who had met Mishu came down to the emergency room. Not for my sake, but for his. It was heartbreaking and yet uplifting at the same time. One of the ER doctors said, I think we should let him go. And I said, not in anger, not in competition, and certainly not boasting. I said, look, I understand that. I'd just like to note, with no training, I just brought him back from the dead. I suspect you guys are way better at this than I am. And I brought him somehow back from, he was getting caught. Just give him half an hour. And they all looked at me and said, yes. About half an hour later, his doctor the cardiologist came out to me and he said, he's alive, but if you took him out of this hospital, you'd get as far as the parking garage and then you'd have to bring him back. What you heard when he cried out, that was him having a stroke. 
the oxygen deprivation was finally too much. And the doctor began to prepare me for the question about letting him go, and I stopped him and I said, I know. We've all done everything we can. Especially him, especially Mishu. I'm ready when you are. And they brought him back to me, and there was a drip attached to his arm. And when that toggle on the drip would be thrown, the medication in the container would end his life. He was as warm and as soft as ever in my arms, and yet I knew he was no longer in there. Sue held him for a while, and then she left me alone with him. I said what you would expect somebody to say in such a circumstance about love and happiness. And then I heard myself saying things about gratitude. Gratitude to him for teaching me that in the face of death, the point is to know when to try and when to say enough. And then he had taught me how to confront death and crisis and urgency, but with evenness and practicality, and to be able to say, I know you had a happy life. Then it seems like that, and not the fact that you had a happy life, but a tragically not a long one, it seems like the happy life was all that mattered to you. His cardiologist and the nurse came back into the room, and I said I was ready, and as the toggle was turned, I said I knew that if there was a place for him to go now, I was confident he would be the first one they let in. And I just hoped they'd let me visit him there someday. And then I hoped he would remember us. I said, good night, sweet prince and flights of angels. Sing thee to thy rest. And he was gone. Again. And as I had prayed, when he died, he died in my arms. He died in my arms twice. <sighs> there are some postscripts, new since the first time I told you his story. His cardiologist very solemnly and respectfully said that of those other international experts who had reviewed Mishu's case, only two out of a couple of dozen of them had actually ever seen and been able to study a small dog with Tetralogy of Fallow, and Mishu might have one final blessing yet to bestow upon the rest of us if they could keep and study his poor little heart. And without hesitation, I said yes, because in that instant... I saw him positioning his head on Stevie's head and his back paws on Rose's back legs so that the three of them were cuddling together whether they liked it or not. And I knew, as I had always known, that this truly was a dog who cared about and loved other dogs. The hospital wound up recalibrating some of the cameras they had in the hospital to photograph the smallest teeth in the smallest dogs so they could get every imaginable image of Mishu's heart and maybe someday use them to fix this nightmare in some other dog. And since sometime, I think, in 2022, Mishu has been in the veterinary textbooks. Moreover, in a casual conversation with someone from that cardiology department at the animal hospital over the summer, he mentioned Mishu. He recognized my name because of Mishu. 
and we talked about this awful disease tetralogy of Fallot, and he said they had, just months earlier, in that hospital, finally been able to successfully complete a surgery on a small dog who had that same fateful construction that took Mishu so young. If I remember what he told me correctly, they built this little dog a new aorta. Now, I'm not crazy or arrogant enough to draw a straight line from letting them keep Mishu's heart to that successful surgery, but I have no doubt that his heart continued the advance of knowledge of what science can do for cardiac patients. And not just canine cardiac patients. When I first got Stevie, the fellow who literally handed her to me at the pet shop was named Jeffrey. About seven years later, I saw Jeffrey again, same shop, and he said he'd just gone back to work after months off, out sick, after heart surgery. And he said, they did some experimental stuff on me, and then he laughed, stuff they had tried out first on dogs. Isn't that amazing? Well, that's always the case. You don't wait to see if the drugs work on dogs because their lives are so short anyway, and you don't wait to do the surgery because their lives are so short anyway. And so you find new ways for dogs and for humans. I like to think Mishu will save other dogs, help save that one that the cardiologist mentioned, and save other kids too. Secondly, Mishu's parents had another litter late in the same year they, that he died, and their human was kind enough to offer me either of the brothers Mishu would never know. Each was eerily reminiscent of him, but healthy. So healthy that they were little devils. There's no other way to describe them. Sweet, innocent little Mishu was in some way sweet and innocent because he didn't have the strength to be a little devil like his brothers were. They were menaces to my other three dogs. I had each of them live a week with us, and I would have been fine with each. They were great just with me, but each of them bit Ted in the genitals, and then Stevie in the genitals, and Rose in the genitals, and one of them bit me in the genitals. You got to draw a line somewhere. They were crazy. And the second one, remember I mentioned how Mishu used to stand in his pen? The second one, Snowy, got into that same pen and managed to climb up the side of it and down the outside of it like an Olympic gymnast. They are now living happy lives as only dogs in other homes. So when Sue from Maltese Rescue reached out again, in June of 2022 and said, I've got another special case, 15-year-old, perfect health, but he's got rotting teeth and dementia. His human got sick and she died. Who's going to adopt a 15-year-old? I was able to raise my hand. And that was when Mine joined us. He's in the other room now. He's curled up in a bed he adores. He sleeps in it like he's in the womb. He sleeps in it sometimes with his back legs up in the air and his head on the floor and his tongue hanging out because he doesn't have any teeth. Mine is resting because tomorrow we will be out leaping over the sidewalks again, and he needs to build up his reserves for that. Or he might be awake. If so, I'm going to have to go out now and get him some more food because he'll eat all day. Bless him. There's a third postscript. 
I got Mishu's tattoo a month after he died, and his pensive, half-smiling little face looks up at me from near the crook of my elbow, where he used to sit when I would carry him around after one of those pre-faints. And it is a remarkable likeness. There's one guy in the village who can absolutely do a portrait of your dog on your arm. To me, the tattoo means exactly what you would think it would mean. It comforts me greatly. It means Mishu is always with me and always will be. And now, with this being the week of this unwanted, but no, not tragic anniversary, Mishu, I hope, will also always be with you. I'll be back tomorrow. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You ever get the feeling the city walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating your soul? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe chase some elk, fish a private stream. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there, and finding your own piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, location, the kind of hunting or fishing you dream of. Land.com. It's where the adventure begins. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.